Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Amen. We're talking about following love. This is lesson number three. Uh, Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, will be our opening text. And beginning at verse 28, Jesus is having a dialogue with the scribe after talking to some Sadducees, and here's what, he, what happens. One of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, well, master, thou hast said the truth. For there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself, is more than the, all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw, he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God, and no man after that durst ask him any question. Jesus was impressed by this scribe when he gave his answer. Remember, he just got done talking to the Sadducees. They tried to trick him pertaining to the resurrection of the dead. Well, when Jesus answered and said that God is the God of the living and not the dead, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in other words, are still alive, this scribe heard that. It impressed him because, you see, the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And I guess I wouldn't be me if I didn't say that's why they were sad, you see. You know that. It's just commonplace. We just know that. Anyone who doesn't believe in the resurrection of the dead, as far as I'm concerned, is sad, you see. So. But then, of course, he asked Jesus this question about love. And about the commandment, rather. And Jesus answers him by saying, you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then, of course, your neighbor is yourself. He added that one. Well, no one is surprised that Jesus could impress this scribe, right? We expect that. But what about the scribe impressing Jesus when he says, you've answered the truth? Not knowing that he is the son of God, but he says, you've answered the truth. And he goes on and adds this. To love God and man is more important than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Knowing that their whole belief system hinges on those burnt offerings and sacrifices. That in order for them to have restored fellowship with God, if they have broken fellowship with God, they need some burnt offerings. And in order to promote a healthy walk with God, they need some sacrifices that they made. So when he says this, he's really stepping beyond the realm of the law, entering into the realm of faith, believing that love is more powerful and so that's how he answers Jesus. And Jesus is impressed. And says, look, buddy, you're not far from the kingdom of God. I'll tell you right now. 
Well, once again, we look at Jesus and how he responded. He said, you've got to love God. Now, notice he used four different words. And I don't think Jesus dismisses words, do you? He said, look, to love God properly, you've got to have your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. So let's start with number one. To love God involves the heart of an individual. And that's talking about his affections and his passions that are within. So with regard to the heart, we have to understand some things about the heart so that we can know what he's talking about. And you'll notice in Matthew 6, 21, these are the very words of Jesus. Look at what he said. For where your treasure is, there will your heart also or be also. Where our treasure is, something you treasure is something that you esteem highly, something that you value, value, something that is worth something to you, something of great value, something of great worth. In other words, the heart flows into what you treasure. There's an outflow. If you treasure something, then it has your heart. You ever heard someone say that they have a heart for this, they have a heart for that, but they don't have a heart for this or have a heart for that? It's something that they can take or leave, you know. Maybe someone has a heart for sports, a heart for hunting, a heart for fishing, a heart for art and whatever. It's something deep on the inside of them that they really have a passion for. Well, the heart is going to love what it treasures. And whatever you treasure, you're going to love. If it's the love of money, if that's what your treasure is, then you're going to seek after that. And you're going to put all your effort, all your work, and all your energy into that particular thing. Notice here something else in Proverbs chapter 4. I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul gives us an example of what it means to really have a heart for loving God. Remember, he had a heart for Judaism. His heart was sold out to Judaism. He was a highly educated individual. By his own admission, he says that he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And as touching the law, I really never heard anybody else say this. He said blameless. Right? But you know what? He met Jesus and had a heart attitude change. He went from having a heart for Judaism and education to having a heart for Jesus. Let's read it. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ. What did he treasure? What did he value? Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it as garbage so that I could gain Christ. He had a heart for knowing Jesus. Loving him with our heart is having him as the treasure of our heart. Do we treasure knowing him? Do we value knowing him? We should. Now look at the next verse in Proverbs 4.23. Because of the heart and the things that it's exposed to in this world, the writer here, Solomon says, keep your heart, protect your heart with all diligence because you see out of it 
are the issues of life or out of it spring the forces of life. Well, why is it necessary to protect my heart so diligently if there's not an enemy? If there's not something trying to intrude into my heart and take over what my affections are and my passion is. Look at 1 John in chapter 2. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. Look at, the, look at another translation. New Living Translation. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, pride in our achievements and possessions, and these are not of the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So the heart has to be protected from all kinds of things that are out there in the world. What did Jesus say? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? There is nothing in this world that we should be more passionate about than knowing Jesus as Savior, as Lord, as baptizer with the Holy Ghost and fire, healer, and the list goes on and on. Look at Psalm 119. Our affections will follow what we treasure and they determine our devotion. But here in Psalm 119, you can see exactly where the writer's coming from. Many believe it was David. Some don't believe it was David. But regardless, the writer of this psalm had a passion for the word of God. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Look at the next translation. I have treasured, I have treasured your promise in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Treasured it. He valued it. He viewed it as something worthy to experience and to embrace. You can see because of that God's word translation, it was a treasure that he had. Do, do, you, we, do we all treasure the word of God? Do we hold it in highest esteem? Do we really believe that Jesus was the word made flesh? And this is a re revelation of who the Father is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Ghost is, who we are in him. Is it really God's roadmap to eternity and eternal life? Does it pave the way for us to enter into the glory of God? Absolutely it does. This is a lamp to our feet. This is a light to our path. And we should treasure it. We should have affection for it. I'll never forget when I first came here so many years ago. Brother Sam Pasella, pastor of the church for 40 years, was sitting on his little porch. And he had his Bible on his lap like this. When I walked over to greet him and say, hello, Brother Sam. Good, good, good. God's word is so good. 
And he would take his Bible. He would kiss it. He would hug it and embrace it. He couldn't get enough of it. He just absolutely had a love affair with the Word of God. So loving God from the heart means the affections and the passions of the heart. If we really treasure the Word of God, then praise God, our affections are going to show it. We can't get enough of it. We love it. So loving God from the heart means from the very depth of our innermost being, with all our passion, with our, all our affection. Look at the next now, number two, with our soul. Now the soul we know involves the emotional part of man. It's comprised of mind, will, emotions, and intellect, but Jesus separated them just for, I'm sure, explaining things to us. But here's talking about our emotional feelings and passions as well. And look at Psalm 107 and verse 9. Psalm 107. For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. People everywhere are trying to fill that void in their lives. They have hungry souls. They're trying to find that fulfillment in drugs, alcohol, sex, different addictions, fame, success, fortune, money. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. But the sad part about it is the longing of the soul is still not satisfied. There's still an emptiness there. There's still a void there. There's a, you could say, a hole in the heart of man that only God can fill. And without him filling it, that emptiness or that void drives a person to pursue something else that could fill it. They just don't know they're looking for God. And they're trying to fill it with other things. He fills the longing soul. You want satisfaction? Look at this next verse, Psalm 42 and then Psalm 63. If we want soul satisfaction, I know there was soul train at one time. There was soul music that was so popular at one time, right? Sure, the temptations, remember the temptations and all that. And sure, all that just to do what? To satisfy the soul, Right? A lot of good music out there that could satisfy. That was when music was music. I'm sorry to say, but that's when music was music. And that's when talent was talent. I'll stop right there. As the heart panteth after the water books, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. After you, nothing else. My soul wants you to fill its void. Look at Psalm 63, and here it is. O oh God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where no water is to see your power and your glory. So as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. You know what satisfies the longing soul? The very glory of Almighty God. I'm telling you, when the glory comes... The soul is satisfied. We belong there in that place of his glory. We belong surrounded by the light of his countenance, of his presence, and of his power. And that's what David longed for. Because you see, he saw, once you taste it, you want more of it. Can you say amen? amen. So you see, we, we love God with our soul by not being satisfied with anything else except his glory manifesting in our lives. And how does that happen? We worship him 
until the glory comes down, until it falls and floods our souls. Hallelujah. And then, thirdly, with the mind, and this is so important, this is talking about how we think and also the decisions that we make. Look in the book of Romans in chapter 8. After saying that there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. After saying the law of life in Christ Jesus frees us from the law of sin and death. And that the law couldn't do what God wanted it to do. Or what was needed to be done. He goes on to talk about, for they that are after the flesh, they do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. So we're talking about loving God with the mind, with how we think, and the decisions that we make. We understand this, man does not think the way God thinks. His thoughts are far higher than our thoughts and his ways than our ways. It's important that we renew our minds to think the way that God wants us to think and not the way we think. Look at the book of Colossians chapter 3, first couple of verses. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection or your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. So how do we love God with our mind? By setting our mind and our affection on things be above where Christ is at the right hand of the majesty on high. Start thinking about those things that are higher than the lower things we think about here upon the earth. Look at the next one, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. How do we love God with our mind? Be not conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We love God with our mind when we say, my mind's not equipped to think the way you want me to think. So I need to renew my mind to the way you think and want me to think, that I may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God in my life. I want to make decisions based on your understanding, not on my understanding. I want to make choices that will honor and glorify you, not promote what the world wants me to experience and have. The next one. And so important, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, for though we walk in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God that are pulling down the strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's impossible if we don't know the thoughts of God. That's impossible if our minds are not renewed to the knowledge of God. People are perishing because of a lack of knowledge. We need to honor God, love God. How? By casting down whatever it is. For example, Jesus said, take no thought for your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, drink, what you're going to put on, etc., etc. Did he not say that? He didn't say except in 2018. Take no thought for your life. Be careful for nothing. Don't worry about anything. Why? He says, because your father knows your needs. So for me then to sit back and worry day after day after day after day and worry and worry and worry is a violation of the, of the word of God. And we're not loving God by doing that with our mind. We're letting our minds run rampant. 
We're letting the world dictate to the way we think. We're letting the devil dictate to the way we think or the flesh to dictate to the way we think. And God's saying, let me reel you back in, pull you back in, praise God. I want you to know something. I told you, cast your care on me because I care for you and about you watchfully and affectionately. I'm there for you. I'm not giving you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound, well-disciplined mind. Praise God. Look at the next one. That brings us to this one. By resisting this contradictory thoughts, but also by keeping our mind fixed on God. Isaiah 26, 3. Beautiful verse of scripture. That will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed, fixed, established, rooted, grounded on thee. Why? Because he trusts in thee. What does that mean? He has faith in your integrity, faith in your ability, faith in your power, faith in your love, faith in your willingness, faith in your mercy, faith in your grace. You see, if we're worrying, then we're not walking in faith or walking in fear. But if we're trusting, we're walking in faith and we're loving him with our thought life. Can you say amen to that? We're loving him with our thought life. So with our mind, will and emotions, also with our, look at uh, number four, strength. Using all our energies to resist evil and to promote obedience to God. In other words, he's kind of putting these all together now with all your strength, all your spiritual strength, all your emotional strength, all your mental strength with the decisions and choices that you make, with every fiber of our being, we stand against what God opposes. We oppose what God opposes. We love what God loves. We hate what God hates. And we make decisions based on our love for God. Praise God and promotion of his word. Notice in Psalm 29 and verse 1. Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Ever fill out a reference for someone and they want to know a person's strengths and weaknesses? I don't know about you, but those things, sometimes I wonder about them. Their strengths and their weaknesses, okay? Whatever our strength might be. Your strength might be time, talents, abilities, skills, your strength might be your finances. You might have other different resources that you can use to advance the kingdom of God upon the earth. By using our gifts, our talents, abilities to promote the work of God shows him that we love him and that we honor him with our lives. We know our gifts came from him. Our abilities came from him. You know, when I hear people say that I did this, I did this, when I heard that one person say on television, this person just said, all these people that get up, here, get up here and they make comments like as though that, you know, I won this because it was what, because God helped me, because Jesus helped me. And this person mocked those that do that saying, I just want you to know I got this award because I did it, not God. And I'm thinking, oh my, oh my. If God just waved his hand, removed his grace for one moment, you would join Nebuchadnezzar in the wilderness like an animal on your knees. You talk about long fingernails, they'd be a whole lot longer, and etc., etc. If God just did for one moment, just removed what you say he didn't give you. Mm. Can you say amen to that? <laughs> Absolutely. You see, 
Loving God runs a whole lot deeper, a lot deeper than just following this list of do's and don'ts. No, loving God comes from passion within the heart. We see him for who he is. We know his character. We know the sacrifice that he made for us. We know that what he did to redeem us took more than our hearts could even imagine. And because of who he is and because of what he's done, he's become our passion, our affection. We set upon him, our devotion is given to him because where the heart is, where the treasure is, the heart is also. Do we treasure Jesus tonight? Do we value Jesus tonight? Do we want to know him better tonight? Do we want to see his glory tonight? See, we value that. We treasure that. We want that so badly that we hunger and we thirst for it to satisfy our souls with God himself because I guarantee you it is eternal and everlasting. It's not just for a moment in time. It is forever and always. Praise God. Amen. Look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 29. We keep his commandments out of reverence for who he is. But look at this verse. God speaking. Oh that they had such a mind as this always, to fear or reverence me and to keep all my commandments. Now notice this last part, that it might go well with them. He's not egotistical. You understand that? He's not demanding our worship so that he can better himself. He knows the impact it will have on our lives, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. He's concerned about you and your descendants and your children and your children's children. So he says, set your love upon me and it'll go well with you. Can you say amen to that? Praise God. Now look at the next part of this. We've got a little bit more time here. Notice he said, as we love ourselves, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Well, we know that there's a raising of the bar with Jesus when he said, love one another as I have loved you. But just because the bar has been raised doesn't mean he excludes anything beneath the bar that was there before. Because if you're going to love people the way he loves you, then you're going to love them as you love yourself as well. We understand that, right? So that's understandable. Okay. So just because he raised the bar doesn't mean he excludes any of this. So now... 1 Peter chapter 1 of verse 18, number 1, understanding our value. How am I going to understand how to love someone else if I don't understand their value? How will I understand their value if I don't understand my value? Look at 1 Peter 1 and verse 18 and 19. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with crippled things of silver and gold from your vain conversation received by, received by tradition from the father, your father's, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. There's your value. A lot of people don't value their lives. A lot of people think their lives are meaningless and without worth. A lot of people let the devil talk them into thinking they'd be better off if they left this world, and many do. But they don't know how valuable they are. They don't know their worth. You are more valuable than many sparrows, Jesus said. And there it is. 
we're so precious, so valuable in His sight that He sent His Son to redeem us, to buy us back, to pay our ransom. And all this world, all this universe with all of its resources could never make that payment. But you're so special that the blood of Jesus Christ was shed for you. I need to know that so I can tell someone else that same thing. How am I going to love my neighbor as myself? Man, when they start telling me that they're not that worthy and etc. Or their life is meaningless. I can show them. Oh boy, you have no clue. God loves you so much it's beyond words. Number two, accepting ourselves as we are. And let me qualify that. But first look at Psalm 139 verse 14. I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Are you fearfully and wonderfully made? Marvelous are thy works. Are you marvelous? Because you're part of his works. And that my soul knoweth right well. I know I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I know we'll have things about ourselves that maybe we don't like and maybe we would like to change and all that. And we live in a culture and society right now that it seems like as though many are making a lot of those changes so that you don't even know if it's the same person or not. After they've gone through all their Botox and all these surgeries and all that sort of thing. Right? Apparently they're not satisfied with how they were made. Now, when we're talking about some things that maybe you don't like or whatever that you'd like to change or, you know, we, we all have things that we might like to change about ourselves. Hmm? Like 5'6 instead of 6'5. <laughs> now, I said 5'6 because if I say 5'6, I can say 6'5. I'm really 5'5 five, five and a half. But I, if I do that, then I can't change. I'm still 5'5 five, five and a half. I can't reverse the numbers. My wife once told me, you have an Italian nose. I said, what does that mean? I got to carry it with a wheelbarrow or, or you know, what, what is it? That it's oversized and overstuffed or, or whatever. Uh, see, people look at themselves in a the mirror and there's certain things they don't like about themselves. And they forget, wait a minute, you're fearfully and wonderfully made by the greatest designer in all the world he created you. He gave you life. And we're to be satisfied with that. And to know, praise God, that even though we may not like certain things, we're okay with that. We're satisfied. Because you see, it's not the outward man. It's the inward man of the heart that counts. Number three, seeing ourselves as God sees us. God doesn't see us with an Italian nose. God doesn't see us at five foot five and a half. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, we are told you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God had before ordained that we should walk in them. So I'm his workmanship, you're his workmanship, and the word workmanship, we talked about this before, you are his masterpiece. You are his masterpiece. What he did in you, what he did in me is considered a masterpiece. And when you think about that word masterpiece, and you think about the one who designed everything, the creator of the universe, and the work that he did in you, even though you fell and I fell, we have no idea how ugly we were on the inside. Remember we talked about Mike, Michelangelo, how he took this old discarded piece of marble, 
that was out in a courtyard somewhere that they were going to get rid of. And he saw that piece of discarded marble that they were going to get rid of and throw away. And what did he do? He sculpted Davide, David, King David. And that became the very first piece of his that ushered him into the realm of being a master designer and craftsman, sculptor. And someone asked him, how did you do that? How did you take this piece of discarded, worthless marble and do that? Yeah, I just took away anything and everything that didn't look like David. Well, guess what? He took away anything and everything inside you that didn't look like Jesus. I better say that one more time. He took away from you anything and everything on the inside of you that didn't look like his son, Jesus. And he made you his masterpiece, his son, his daughter, and praise God, his glory is on the inside of you. Thank you, Jesus. Think about it. How do we love ourselves? By seeing ourselves the way he sees us. So when someone else comes along and says to you, but look at me, I'm this, I'm that, and look at this, she's prettier, he's more handsome, or he's built better and all that, say, you're a masterpiece. You see, you're looking in the wrong places. You are a masterpiece, God's masterpiece. And don't forget it, start saying it. Don't let the devil control you with his words, his his view of you, the way he wants you to see yourself as he wants you to see yourself, don't do that. Look at yourself the way God sees you. Mm, you look pretty good. Number four, being at peace with ourselves. There's a scripture in John 14, verse 27, that should just rise up big on the inside of us. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Be at peace with yourself because you've got the peace of God that passes all understanding in you to keep your heart and your mind through Jesus Christ our Lord. The word keep means to protect or to garrison about your heart and your mind. So in other words, we have an army surrounding our thought life to keep out all the thoughts that contradict the thoughts of God. Don't entertain or allow any entry points uh, from the enemy to come in to make you think something less of yourself. That's why I'm not criticizing ministers when I say this. When I hear a, a man of God stand behind a pulpit and say, I'm just so unworthy to come before you. I want to stop right there. Find a phone number. Call him up. And just say, wait a minute. I understand you want to be humble. But that's not being humble. That's a lack of knowledge. I want you to know that the master designer crafted you. You are his workmanship. You are his masterpiece. Look at yourself that way. The whole Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Ghost lives on the inside of you. The glory that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Is that unworthy? You're the righteousness of God in Christ. You're an heir of God. You're a joiner with Jesus. He views you as a more than a conqueror in this life. A world overcomer by your faith. Washed in the blood of the Lamb. A saint of Almighty God. How can you say 
You're unworthy when he made you worthy. You didn't make yourself worthy, but he made you worthy. Look at the next one. Not basing our self-worth on our performance. Aren't you glad for that? Mm. What could you and I do? I told you my son Andrew, he's got, a, he's got it out for the devil. He'll shake his fist. He'll ask me questions like this. Dad, when I get to heaven, can I get a baseball bat and hit the devil in the head? I said, number one, he won't be there. He said, I know, but we would come back and fight with Jesus. Can he let me go in front of him and hit him in the head with a baseball bat? And I says, well, you could talk to him about that, but I don't think that's going to work. But that's okay. You see, it's not our performance. There is one and only one that entered the strong man's house, bound him up and defeated the strong man and took his spoils and divided it all up with all of us. And what's his name? Jesus. It's not based on my performance. It's based on what he's done. It's not based on me perfectly keeping every law. None of us could ever do that. That's an impossibility. But if you miss the mark, look to Jesus and get under the blood and take a wonderful shower. Just bathe in the blood of the lamb that you're cleansed from all unrighteousness and, and he renews your fellowship and restores it. Thank God we can be washed in the blood of the lamb. It's his performance, not my performance. But that doesn't mean I won't use all my energies to obey God. I'll still use all my resources and all the energies of my being to see to it that I walk in, in the light of his will for my life and honor his commandments and judgments and statutes and laws and live in the realm of love. So, and finally, forgiving ourselves and forgetting our past failures. We can do all things through Christ as our strength was the, was the scripture. But look at the next one. Here in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13, forgetting our, or forgiving ourselves when we miss the mark, and then also putting our past behind us and leaving it there. If we're going to love others as we love ourselves, we have to love ourselves enough to do exactly what Paul did. Look at what, look at what it says here. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before he forgets those things are behind. And if you follow this line of teaching all the way through, what you discover is this. Paul was saying, I made some big mistakes along the way. I opposed Christ. I opposed Christianity. I called for the death of the first martyr. They laid his clothes at my feet. I did my best with all the zeal I possessed to stamp out Christianity in its inception before it ever got off the ground. I was taking Christians and throwing them in jail. And I'm sure there were others that he had also beheaded. But that's what his desire was. And he thought he was doing God a service. He had zeal, but not according to knowledge. And one day he met Jesus on the Damascus road. And he had that change of heart. And all of a sudden now he is preaching and proclaiming the gospel that he once despised. The same Jesus that he once despised. And what does he have to do? He says, look, I'm, I'm really should be considered less than least of all the saints because I persecuted the church of God. But I'm forgetting those things are behind me. He forgot those things behind. He, he forgave himself. He put those things in the past. They're not going to haunt me anymore. 
The devil may try to bring them up and try to discourage me from going forward in God. But you know what? I'm not going to let that happen. Yesterday's forgotten. Yesterday is gone. I forget my past. He could actually go on to say in, in the in, to the Corinthians in the letter to them, he said, look, I have harmed no man. I have wronged no man. In other words, he arrived at a place where he can actually say from his heart that he believed, praise God, he was cleansed from the blood of all men. He was completely forgiven. And thank God he was delivered from any guilt, sin consciousness, condemnation, or inferiority that tried to stop him from moving forward in God and promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, you know what? We need to be the same way about ourselves. Forget our past mistakes and failures. Forgive ourselves and put them in the past. Rise up and go forward and praise God and tell others the same thing. I'm going to love someone else as I love myself. I'm going to tell them to do the same thing. And also, I'm going to forgive them if they've harmed me in any way in the past. If they've done anything whatsoever to offend me, I'm going to forgive the offense. And as Jesus said, do it 490 times a day if need be. What does that tell us about seeing to it that the heart is protected with all diligence? Don't let anything at all whatsoever hold you in bondage to your past. You see it that you forgive. Now, the wrong way to love ourselves is to exalt what we want above the things of God. So in other words, if I want to love myself, if a woman says I want to love myself by marrying this man because I really am in love with this man, but he's not a Christian, he's not a follower of Jesus Christ, and she says, but I'm going to do it anyhow, she's not loving God. She's loving herself above God. She's making a decision that basically goes against and contradicts the very word of God. Don't be unequally yoked together with a non-believer is what the scriptures teach. Same thing with, with men. We're to love our, our wives, how? Like Christ loved the church and then also how? As we love our own flesh, right? So if we're going to honor God and love God and show love for him, we're going to do it his way and not our way. See, loving God the right way says, if that's what you said to do, no matter what, I'm going to do it. Go back to the wife. If the wife has a, a husband that's not serving the Lord, what is she told to do? Don't let it be the outward adorning of your flesh, but let it be the hidden man of the heart. This heart on the inside of you that he can see, that God can use to speak to his heart and speak to his mind. Don't preach to him the gospel. Don't preach to him the word of God. You be a living epistle of the living, living Christ. Let him read your behavior, your conduct, your character, your attitude. When he sees the love that you are displaying as you, as you love him from your heart, guess what? God then has an inroad to take that man's heart and turn it the way he wants it to turn. And the same thing with husbands, same thing. It's up to us to follow what the scriptures teach, loving our wives as Christ loved the church and what a mandate that is and as we love our own flesh as we nourish it and cherish it and care for it so it's up to us to make a decision that we're going to live in the realm of love and I'll be honest with you it's the realm of the miraculous it is the place that God wants us all to live we want miracles we want signs we want wonders we want the glory of God to manifest within our midst it's up to us to see to it we create an environment of love because in that place of God's love is where God's power will be poured out and so if we'll do it our part God will do his part let's all stand together before the Lord